Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, my name is John. If you've never met before, I get to serve as uh, the pastor around here. And as Blake said, it's an honor to have you with us. And uh, whether you're online or you're right here, really, really glad that you're here. You picked a good morning uh, to join us. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes there are things that happen like over the course of a couple days or a weekend that you just know like as a church, it's just it probably is like going to be the elephant in the room to talk about it. And one of those things I felt like was really worth talking about before we jump into the actual teaching today um, was a recent Supreme Court decision uh, and to, to kind of give you just an insight into how our staff and our leaders are, are, are talking about that. How are we processing it? And uh, again, don't hear this as like, John is Jesus. I am not God. I've never claimed to be. You may confuse him with me sometimes, but uh, totally kidding. No one who knows me would ever do that, but... But I did want to speak on just behalf of, of Center and, and our team and, and how we're kind of walking through this. The first thing I want to say, there's really three things, but the first thing I want to say is we are deeply celebrating uh, the sanctity of life uh, that is being moved forward by the, this weekend's decision. Um, I have personal friends who every single day have been praying on the steps of the Supreme Court since 2004 uh, for the ending of abortion, the federal uh, kind of mandating of abortion in America. And so I am gr uh, grateful and joyous and celebrating that with them. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. We have people on our staff. We have people in my own family who have adopted and fostered people on our church who have done both those things. I'm very grateful. Uh, that as a church, we celebrate from womb to tomb, like full on life, because that is what Jesus offers. That's what he celebrates. The second thing I want to say so I really want to acknowledge uh, that when it comes to pregnancy and, and some of the family dynamics at work, not only just in our community, but across the nation, um, that there are people who are, are trying to figure out next steps because of this decision, right? There are real challenges. I am not immune to the fact uh, that there are people in our church who have dealt with this decision. There are people in our community who are, are trying to figure out ways forward. Uh, but I just want to say, I acknowledge, like, we see that as a church. We know um, that being pregnant, and especially in family systems that are not healthy, can be a really devastating and, and just misorient, like, disorienting thing. And so I just want to acknowledge that and say that we see you, we get that, I understand that, I feel that. But the third thing I want to say is that we are really privileged to work with some incredible organizations and partners in our community who are actually moving uh, this forward, who are not just saying we're pro-life, but actually are from the moment they're born, uh, even before they're born and through life, are trying to be a support and trying to be resources and love, love on moms and families who are in some of these really tricky, challenging situations. One of those is hand-to-hand, -hand, where we literally are providing food for families, often uh, the kids who receive hand-to-hand -hand because of your generosity are coming from broken families, often single-parent homes, often homes where uh, food is insecure. It's an unstable environment for them to be fed, which plays into caring for life beyond just the moment that they're born. And so I'm really grateful. Some of you personally serve, but when you give, that's just like Blake said, you're giving to support that. Um, and the second organization that we're a part of financially uh, some of our, our church serves in, in capacities, and we're going to step up in ways that we haven't before this year. Um, is Hope Unexpected, which is actually kind of a local organization and partnership we have. And they do, I mean, it's not just like have prayer meetings for moms. They are doing everything from car care to food to 
uh, legal help to prayer to discipleship training. I mean, they're doing the full thing. Uh, often moms that are coming from abusive backgrounds and trying to get out of those situations uh, and, and the people who find themselves most insecure when it comes to being able to have a pregnancy and, and, and see it through. So I just want to say, like, our job is not done as a church. It's not like, yay, we made it. This is like the, a starting line. It's not a finish line. There is so much more work to be done, but I am very grateful for the work that was accomplished. <laughs> I want to say that. I don't want to, like, hide from that, and I'm not embarrassed about that. Um, I think it's really, really significant. But now it's our job as a church to step up and to do all the things that we say that we care about, to foster, to adopt, to give, to to love and serve. I mean, Blake and I were just talking about a mom uh, really close to Frontline, who is clearly struggling. It's like us being the person, salt and light, in those relationships, in those situations. And so I want to take a moment and just pray, and then we're going to dive into the teaching for today. Uh, but I did not want to miss the opportunity to speak to that as a church. And so would you join me? Father, thank you that you remind us in Scripture that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you see us, you care about us, And I pray, God, right now that you'd allow us to understand the depth of your love for each life, each person, each human being that we encounter, whether they're in the womb still or out. And and I pray that you'd allow us as a church to not only financially partner, not just to give time or, or energy or resource, but to allow our lives to be broken for the things that break yours. And I pray that you'd allow us, not just as a church, but as individuals, to to take ownership, to move forward in this space, to grieve with those who grieve, to mourn with those who mourn, and to celebrate and rejoice and support uh, those who are kind of in in the exciting season of life in terms of their family. And so we just consecrate it to you. We know that we need your wisdom moving forward. We know uh, that there's a, a trap even for us to be divided or to, to separate from one another based on where we land on this. And I pray that you'd allow us as a church to just rise up uh, as a non-anxious presence in the midst of the chaos, uh, to be your voice, to be your compass, to be your salt and your light and your truth in this time. We need you. Just like we saying, we depend on you every single hour. And so we're coming to you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me take that moment. I felt like it was important moment today. Um, in, in January 1914, none of you are alive, I don't think. I'm pretty sure. In January 1914, on the heels of the Titanic sinking, which you've either seen the movie or at least familiar with the concept of the ship Titanic sinking, in 1914, there was another nautical tragedy that actually took place. There were these two uh, ocean liners, the Nantucket and Monroe, that crashed off the Virginia coast. And what, what made that interesting is not only did, did the world just kind of find out the Titanic happened and people were trying to figure out how to avoid that thing again, and this happens, but also because of the Congress trials and hearings that went on after the Nantucket and Monroe tragedy took place. So in, in, in 1914, they put on trial Captain Osmond Berry and Captain Johnson. Both of them are put on trial to find out how did this happen, how do we avoid this happening in the future? Like, clearly, two massive tragedies took place. We need to avoid this. And so they try Osmond Berry, and next up on the stand is Captain Johnson. Now, he was grilled in this trial for about five hours straight, going across the questioning, because 41 sailors lost their life in this. It was not a small trial. 
But during cross-examination, it was learned, this is a New York Times reporting from 1914, that Captain Johnson, quote, navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficiently true to run the ship and that it was a custom of masters in the coastwise trade to use such compasses. His steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year he was master of the Monroe. The faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved otherwise, leading to this tragic crash. Later, New York Times reported that at, at the conclusion of the trial, Captain Barry and Captain Johnson found each other in the courtroom, and both these huge, big sailor men broke down, weeping, crying, sobbing over the friends that they had lost because of this tragic mistake that their compass was two degrees off. Now, what we're talking about today is how do you know you're being led astray? Led astray. How would you know in your life that you may be a couple of clicks off leading to a fatal crash of your spiritual life, of your relationships, of your career? How do you know? I want to propose to you that the way you know is this big word called apprenticeship. That's how you know. If you've ever been in a trade school or you're familiar with that language, apprenticeship is literally studying under someone who would describe themselves as a master, a guru, someone who's, who's a couple moments ahead, maybe a general manager or a training manager. This is what we're talking about today. Another way to phrase it, like Blake alluded to, is the spiritual practice of study, of, of reading and mining and digging into God's word for yourself to learn the truth. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about this. Jesus was concerned with whether or not you and I lived out of knowing the truth and that actually setting us free. You can read literally his own words. I want to take you to eight, uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. And before I actually read that, the, the passage right before, the Jews are debating who is Jesus? What's his identity? If he's the Messiah, that obviously has implications for us. But if he's not, then we need to get rid of him. They're going back and forth, these debates. And this is in the midst of what uh, they're debating. Jesus speaks, and this is what he says in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If, if you hold to my teaching, if you, if you kind of lock in, you align your life with what I teach, my ways, my words, you are really my disciples. You could say you are my apprentices, you are my students, you're my followers. Verse 32 then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, for Jesus, knowing the truth, studying the truth, embracing his words was not just a nice luxury that some Christians decide to do and some don't. It actually is the way to freedom. Without it, you will live in bondage to a bunch of false teaching, false ways, false truths, that really don't work out in the end. And in John 12, if you study John 8, 12 through 30, is really disputing over Jesus' identity. John 8, 31 and 32, what we just read or you just read, is kind of the consequence of embracing Jesus' identity. They were kind of pointing out what happens when you embrace Jesus' identity. And the funny part is, Jesus is preaching and teaching to people who are kind of on the fence about him. They're kind of riding in line. Mainly they were Jews in this scenario 
who would maybe have multiple options for rabbis and trying to figure out, is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he the, the one and true rabbi? Is he the Messiah? Is he the saving one that we've been praying and prophesying and waiting for? And Jesus is saying, if you embrace my teaching, it will set you free. If you embrace my truth, if you study me, that's how you'll be led to freedom. Because in the Jewish world, following a rabbi was really two steps. The first step was desire. You had to want to do it. Like you didn't have to do it, but you had to want to do it. There was kind of a, a desire, a burning within you. It's like, I need to follow this rabbi. And, and, and people were getting there. You can see that in, in John chapter 8. There was people who believed and gave themselves to the way of Jesus because of what he was teaching. But the second step is commitment. There was a point you had to go beyond desire, go beyond like, I like being around Jesus too. I'm going to consecrate. I'm going to give my entire life, my security, my status, my devotion, my family, my relationships. I'm going to give it all to the allegiance of King Jesus. I'm going to follow him as my rabbi. This is referred to not just being a Jew, but being a Talmudic Jew. Talmud kind of meaning student or, or devoted apprentice to the way of Jesus because if you take that second step, you commit, you are following wholeheartedly. I mean, for multiple years, you are walking in, in literally the dust of that rabbi. You are following his way. You know what he's going to, you're like finishing his sentences. You know him that well. You know his teaching. You know what he thinks is true. You know what he thinks is false. You know how he would respond in certain situations. In certain heated moments, you would know his take on political issues or the current events in Jewish culture, you would be following him as your teacher. That This would be the whole point of following the rabbi. If you think about it this way, we've kind of talked about the last couple of weeks, these practices that we've been studying. So first week, we talked about meditation. And maybe a way to frame all of these is that in meditation, Jesus is our guide. Like he's our voice. When we are meditating and stirring on certain scriptures, just like Blake led us earlier, through Psalms and hearing the truth, when we're not just trying to read it to study it, but we're reading it to let it get into our bones, Jesus is our guide. But the second week, we talked about prayer. In prayer, Jesus is our intercessor, which is a fancy way for saying he steps in the gap, like where he, we can't get things done, where we don't have the supernatural power. Jesus says, I am praying for you. I am interceding. I'm on your side. I'm, interse I'm intercessing for you. The third week, last week, we talked about fasting. Uh, some of us practiced that last Wednesday together. Anyone else hungry on Wednesday? That was kind of our vibe. It was like, oh man, this is hard. Because fasting is probably one of the least practiced practices that any of us have ever understood or, or heard about. In fasting, Jesus is our provision. He is our sustaining force. He is our life. He describes himself in the Gospels as being the bread of life, as being the living water. He is a much more fundamental need than fruit or than water. But in week four, which is this week, we're actually talking about study. And in study, Jesus is our teacher. He's our rabbi. He is the one whose words we embrace, we hear them, we understand them, and we let them speak into our situations. A simpler way to put this is to follow Jesus is to study Jesus. To follow Jesus is to study Jesus, to know, just like a Talmudic Jew would, how is Jesus going to respond to this? How, what is he going to say about this? What, what has he said about this? What, what ways did he live his life? What, what practices did he have? Honestly, 
The 12 practices we're going through this summer are all flowing directly out of Jesus's life. They don't like magically come from John's book of ideas or an old ancient text that we found somewhere in the church storage room. Like these are from Jesus. All of these are from him and they, they model his way of living. Maybe I'll put it this way. About seven months ago, I started in a mixed martial art called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And Jiu-Jitsu is interesting because literally the goal is you're standing in, across the way from someone, a couple feet apart from them, and the goal within a five-minute round or however long you're going is to take them down and is to submit them, which literally means you figure out a way to choke them, whether with their own gi, which is like kind of their jacket, kimono thing, or, or you do this when you're not wearing a gi and you're trying to figure out how do I like turn their limbs or choke them somehow in a way that they'll finally tap out and get really uncomfortable. Sounds fun, right? But, but about a few months ago, I had friends who were like, you got to get into this. Like, it's so fun. And so I was like, okay, I'll try anything once. And I was hooked. I, I, it's been really fun. So three or four days a week, I go to this gym and that's what I do. But the specific week, so let me bring this out because this is an important part of the, of the equation here. The first week you start, they give you this belt, this is a gi belt, G-I belt. This is a white belt, which means John Gorbett knows nothing about jiu-jitsu. That's what this means. In terms of a rank, this is the lowest you possibly can get. And so I'm handed this belt, and I start out, and you kind of figure out there's like a rhythm to these classes, right? So you go, um, for me, it's early in the morning, go to the first class of the day, and the first five, 10 minutes is kind of a warm-up thing. Sometimes that's jogging or doing burpees or uh, doing wrestling takedowns. You're kind of just getting warmed up, doing different things. And then the next 15 to 20 minutes is what they call technique time. So literally you sit there, all these guys who like you would never want to see in a street fight. They're just bad dudes. They do not. I am like the odd one out. I'll just put it that way. Okay. So we're going and you kind of do this wrestling thing. And then like little cute school children, you sit down in a nice circle with all your buddies. And then the coach teaches you a technique that you don't know. Like that you're learning, you're essentially sitting there almost like you would in a classroom and learning these moves. Like last week, we learned the north-south choke, which sounds about as mean as it really is. Like it's awful to receive. I'll just put it that way. Fun to give, awful to receive. But we're sitting there and learning and I find myself like I'm 31. It's not like college was decades ago for me, but it was at least a decade ago. And it feels like some of that learning is really hard to do. So I've got to like ask questions. I'm trying to figure out how did you even get your leg that way? I don't know how you're doing that. Like, could you show me this? Could you go back over that? There's people asking, like raising their hand, asking a question. And the coach is kind of going back and forth. And then for five, 10 minutes, you drill this with a training partner. So you get with someone's kind of equal skill to you and you just try it out like 15, 20 times. You're going over and over and over again. Literally, you have to become, if you want to learn an apprentice, it's an incredibly humbling experience. But this is exactly what it means to, to lean in and embrace the discipline of study. Because here's what I'll just upfront tell you. I've never figured out how to do a move or a technique the first try, ever. Like some of the ones I learned six months ago, I still do wrong. You know, like in real time when someone's actually coming at you, I'm like, ah! I don't know. Hug me. I don't know. Do something. I'm not, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. But what's funny is you slowly learn them and you begin to apply them in real time. You start to figure it out. You start to learn it. But that's exactly how God's word is supposed to function. 
You don't get it right the first time. You don't understand it perfectly the first time. You don't have all the clues, all the context, all the the ins and outs of what Jesus may be saying in a particular conversation. But what you do is you begin to apply it. You begin to study. You begin to dig in. You start to learn. And all of us, when it comes to Scripture, hopefully take the posture of a white belt, like where you sit down, you learn from the instructor, you learn from your teacher, your rabbi, Jesus. Psychologist, spiritual writer Dallas Willard puts it this way, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. At first glance, probably half of us don't actually believe that, but the more you understand it, the more it actually becomes true. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And let me be super clear, because you may be like, why are we talking about study? It's June. Like, I want to be on a lake right now. Why, why are we talking about how to study scripture right now? But honestly, here, here's the thing. Like, study, this, this practice is not just a nice, Christian-y, kind of super spiritual elite thing to add on to your already busy schedule. Like, I'm not an idiot. I get life. I've, I've got a life, too, outside of Sunday morning. Like, there's crazy stuff happening. Our world, turmoil political divides, chaos, people who differing views. Like this is not just something nice to add on. I really do believe that this, this spiritual practice, if you and I embraced it, can be one of the cures for the serious ailments of our society, for our own culture, for our own families. One of those to me is just media consumption. Like did you know the average American, which is you <laughs> and me, spends about seven and a half hours a day consuming media? Podcasts, TVs that are on, uh, social media scrolling, iPads on. Like, we consume media for nearly eight hours of our waking day. That's insane. Do you think that there's going to be an issue in your life in following Jesus if your primary voices are not Jesus? Yes. <laughs> that feels like an easy one. I mean, yes, that's, that's how it goes. If you don't have... The discipline of study, you will constantly be swayed back and forth, two degrees off here, two degrees off here, because there's no plumb line. There's no direct connection to truth. Now, Jesus says it's it's embracing the truth. It's not knowing about it. It's knowing. It's an embracing. It's It's a taking it into your own life that will actually be the thing to set you free. Like, this hit me a couple weeks ago. I was having lunch with a friend, another pastor uh, here in Grand Rapids, and we were sitting down and talking about different stuff, and he's like, dude, have you heard of this TikTok account? You need to follow this TikTok social media account. They give you the news with no commentary. I was like, wow, we have come so far from what news is supposed to be, apparently. Like, he was just elated. He's like, I can't believe it. They just give you the facts and no commentary. It's incredible. They let you make your own decisions, your own conclusions. Like, have an open mind about some of this stuff. I was like, wow, I thought that's how news was always supposed to be. Isn't that why Fox and MSNBC and CNN make $6 billion a year? Like, aren't they supposed to be a part of that? But, but there's other voices in your life that want to speak their own version of truth. And that's one of the problems. I mean, we face this. Maybe today you call it fake news. Back in Jesus's day, they would call it false teaching. The, the problems have not changed, but people are still hungry, just like you and I are, to know, how do I know if I'm being led astray? How do I know if the, if the ship of my life is two degrees off center and, and leading to a crash? You know how you know? The filter of apprenticeship. The filter of 
studying Jesus's ways, his teaching, his words, how he interacted. It's, it's knowing Jesus in the practice of study. And here's the beautiful thing. We're not just talking about you need to go and buy like stuffy commentary books and sit down every morning with a cup of coffee and like thumb through Greek New Testament or whatever idea you have. Just like get that out of your head. What I am talking about is the dedicated reading and understanding and grappling with the scriptures, specifically the words and ways of Jesus. That is the true north. That is a compass that won't fail you. And if we're growing in our love for Jesus, which happens when you understand him, you know him more, you can trust him more to direct and to guide and to lead your life. Why? Because his intention, he says this in John 10, 10, the thief, the enemy of God comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, life to the full. I've come, he says in John 8, 32, to set you free. Like I don't have something to get from you when you study God's word. I have everything to give you. It's, it's for you. It, it's, it's right there. This is kind of like, I mean, equate it this way. Like Lennon, our 13-month-old, has a penchant for running in the middle of the road, which is a bad parenting thing. Don't let your kids do that. But, but she loves to do it. She's like, okay, I start at the top of the driveway. How fast can I like kind of penguin walk all the way down to the, the road and get in the road? Like that's her goal pretty much any time she's in the front yard. And there comes a point where you have to say, if you're like, off, if you're off your game, you're like looking at your phone or you're on the phone or you're trying to get a drink of water or something. If you're not watching her, she will go to the road and you got to scream, no road, no road, Lennon, no road. Don't run the road. I'm going to look like a really bad parent to all of my neighbors. But there also is a point where you go down and you had to say, Lennon, no, no road. Like you stand in front of her and then you can put your hand down and with her little cute, perfect fingers and beautiful skin, she reaches up and she puts her hand in yours and then you can lead her somewhere. You can walk her down the sidewalk to some, pick other neighbor's flowers. You can, you can go up back into the garage. You can find her little, little tyke's car and put her in that. I mean, there's, you can lead her to a better place. And this is a discipline of study at work. Jesus wants to be that voice, that hand outstretched to you to place your life into and say, if you study my way and my teaching, it's gonna lead you to freedom, it's going to lead you to life. It's going to lead you to the best version, really honestly, of who you are meant to be. And without that, it's bondage, it's sin, it's temptation after temptation, addiction after addiction. It's negative thought pattern after negative thought pattern. And if you don't know his words and his ways, you don't study them, you'll never know the difference, what's true and what's not. I remember starting out, uh, this is about eight, eight and a half, nine years ago now, got my first vocational ministry job, fresh out of college. We're at this church in Detroit, and I remember sitting, it's like a Monday morning. It had been a couple Sundays we've been at this church. I'm sitting in my office Monday morning, and I realize, oh my goodness, I know nothing about how to be in ministry. I don't know anything. I have duped these people in the interviews because they just, they think I know stuff. I don't know stuff. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And I'm sitting there, and I remember stumbling, I don't know if it was a blog or a book, I can't recall exactly, but I remember stumbling across this question. Like, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling with things, if you don't know what an answer is in a, in a given situation, ask this question. What would a great leader do in this situation? Maybe you've asked that. Like, what would a great mom do in this situation? What would a great CFO do in this situation? What would a great owner do in this situation? situation. 
And one of the gifts that the, that the practice of study can bring to your daily life is helping us ask the question, what would a fully devoted follower of Jesus do? What would a fully devoted student of Jesus do in this situation? What would they do? Uh, if only someone had created like a bracelet to help you remember this stuff. Like we could do W-W-A-F-D-S-O-F-J-D-I-T-S. You know, like maybe we'll put that on a bracelet or a shirt sometime. Or we could just do WWJD and save a lot of money. But it's really interesting because for me, this has been one of those life-giving disciplines, life-giving practices. Honestly, you like just to unveil, like you may be like, well, isn't that your job? Don't you study scripture all day long, like eight to five? The answer, I hate to break it to you, is no, I actually don't do that. There's some days where Bible reading for me is really difficult. There's some days I don't read the Bible. There's some days I find interacting with teachings of Jesus is dry and there's no life and it's boring. And I'm like, I don't really know why I'm reading this. But there's other days where I read something Jesus says and it literally speaks directly to my situation. There's other days where I read and understand, oh my goodness, my friend asked me for wisdom or I'm praying for this person. They need to know what this says. They need this hope. They need this promise. They need this this word. They need this, this thing to hold on to in this time that they're going through. And so to me, what really gives life to it is if you'll commit yourself to studying God's word every single day, doesn't have to be super long, doesn't have to be elaborate, you will find that God will consistently speak to you. People ask me all the time, how do I hear God's voice? John, how do I know God's will in this situation? I'll say, have you read the Bible? He gave us a lot of it right here. And the gift is if you will engage it, you will find the freedom and the life and the truth that you get in touch with in a way that no other practice can. So to me, I mean, that looks like this, this past month, I've read through the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. And I take about a book a month because I'm not super smart and I don't like reading constantly, especially in grad school. I'm like, how do I read like the bare minimum to get what I need? But, but, but scripture for me has just been this constant place I can go back to and say, when I get in touch with that, I get in touch with truth. My life is calibrated around the way of Jesus in a way that no other discipline can help me do. Every August, I take what we call a study break. Every Zero Collective pastor takes this kind of blend of vacation and studying away from kind of the daily, uh, daily leadership responsibilities of church. And to me, that has been a lifeline. Like, it sounds weird, but in a way, you've all benefited from me doing that. <laughs> I have benefited from me doing that. My family, my marriage, my parenting is benefiting from me doing that. And this August, I'll do the same thing. I'll take a couple hours every single day away from kind of the normal responsibilities of life and study God's word. I will read, I will pray, I'll read books, I'll, I'll listen to podcasts. My goal is just to get to know God better. And the same is true in our relationships. You love your spouse more, the more you get to know them, I hope. <laughs> You love your kids more, the more their personality comes alive and the deeper your conversation can be. Like I love Lindsay more, the more I get to know her. I love Lennon more, the more I get to know her, the more I study them. And so this is a really, I'm gonna give you a super corny, cheesy way to apply this tomorrow. If you're like, I don't know what you're even talking about. Here's a really simple, if you wanna take a picture of this or write it down or uh, ask for it later, this is kind of a simple acronym that typically I, and I know a lot of you do this too, walk through 
a specific passage of scripture just to break it down a little bit, to, to get into the study habit. The first is pick the scripture. So that's S. The second is observation, which is O, where you're literally taking, almost think of yourself as like an investigative journalist. You're asking questions about the text. You're kind of walking through like, okay, so why did Jesus say this? Why did people respond this way? Why is this happening in the story? Why is that place important or that thing important? And then A is application. God, what do you want to say to me? How does this apply? Where does this speak to the situation I'm in? And then fourth is prayer, P. Like taking time to just pray through it. Maybe if you take John 8, 32, a prayer would look like, God, I want to know your truth and ultimately I want freedom. Will you help me to know and have a hunger for your truth so I can be set free this week? Really, really simple. Keep it very, very basic. Keep it bite-sized to where you actually will do it and, and have a desire, hunger. Uh, leave wanting more, not less. Like, can I make that point? Like that's the goal of scripture. Like leave wanting more, not being totally filled up because God will continue to speak as you continue to return to this. I have a friend, just to illustrate it this way, a family friend of ours has really, really nice hair. Some of you do too, not all of you, but some of you do. I'm not gonna point out who's who, but like some of you have really nice hair and you get this. She takes about an hour every single morning to do her hair, which to me, especially now, feels like insane, but but she does it, and every single day she does her hair. I've never seen her look bad. I've never seen her like not put together, her hair not done. And I began to ask, like she she said, she was talking about scripture at one point in our conversations as, as a staff, and she was like, yeah, it was weird because I used to sit in church, and she didn't come from a ministry background or a Christian home. She's like, I used to sit there, hear people talk about the Bible, talk about scripture. I, I'm a mom. I've got a couple kids. I've got a full-time career. How do you expect me to do that? And she said, but every single morning I would take from like six to seven in the morning, take time to do my hair, to look really good before I went into the office. She said, a simple shift I made, and she, and she practiced what we're just, that acronym we we're just talking about, is I got my iPad out and I, I clicked on Bible Gateway and I paid five bucks a month for Bible Gateway Plus, which is like the upgraded version that has all the commentaries, all the study Bibles attached to it. And I just decided while I'm doing my hair, I'm going to study the scriptures. Can I just give you some encouragement? It is that easy. It is that simple. And it will change you if you embrace this. And so I'd love to pray for you because I get some of this is desire and some of it is commitment. Some of us have the desire, but we're not committed. Others of us are just rotely committed, but we're not hungry for it. We don't like it. We don't enjoy it. And I want to ask that God would give us both of those sayings today. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the invitation into scripture. Thank you for the invitation to, to study, to learn your ways, to understand your teaching for ourselves. And, and I'm asking boldly, Jesus, that you today would give us in our own lives, in our family's life, in our marriage, give us a desire to study. Give us a desire to know you more. Give us a desire to go to this ancient text that's living and breathing and wanting to speak into our lives. Give us that desire. And God, for some of us, we just need the commitment. We need to implement this holy habit into our, into our day, into the rhythm of our morning or our night or our afternoons. And God, I'm just praying you'd help us to not only carve out space, but just, just to make it a priority. Not because we want to be a super Christian, not because we want to be spiritually elite and better than all of our friends, 
but because at the core, you've wired us for freedom. At the core, you've wired us for a loving communion with you. And that's what I want. I think that's what we want. And so Holy Spirit, we come before you and asking that you would do that work that only you can do. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church, would you stand with me? We're gonna respond in worship. I wanna encourage you during this song, not just to sing or to stand there or, or to look around the room, but some of the words you're about to sing literally are just pure gospel, pure good news truth. I'm gonna encourage you to engage it, to study it, to absorb it for yourself. And uh, let's see what God will do through this time.